to not just think about Jesus speaking to these churches 2,000 years ago, but we need to look at and see how he's speaking to us through these churches. Because we're, remember these were local churches and we're a local church. And, uh, you know, people really don't change that much. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, certainly when we get born again, we're, we're a new creature in Christ and we change. But even after we're Christians... Uh, I've still noticed after pastoring for many years that that even after, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're sinners, we get saved, we become Christians, we still deal with a lot of the same things. And you understand what I'm saying? Even though we're new people in Christ, new creatures in Christ, we still have the flesh to deal with. We still have the 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 problems of life. We still have the snares of the devil out there that he tries to to ensnare us with. And so people really the things, you know. Don't change all that much. One thing I've learned about the devil is he's got nothing new. He just packages things differently. But uh, at the once the package is opened, it's still the same ugly stuff on the inside, you know. And so these are things that that, that Jesus pointed out to these churches that, uh, uh, you know, we can learn about the snares of the devil that he has for us. And we can learn about how Jesus looks at things, what he looks for in in us as a as a church member and and things that please him things that displease him you know when jesus showed up and and appeared to john on the isle of patmos and then gave him these messages for these churches of course we understand that revelation 4 through i guess revelation 22 was a message to all of the churches and to 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 all of us but the second third chapter there were seven churches he gave these these messages to and remember Jesus always looks for the positive first he always commends where where he can commend you need to understand that about him he's not he he he, he doesn't get any pleasure in pointing out our faults you know he shows up he 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 compliments where he can compliment and then you need to realize this about Jesus is there that there is you know there's the goodness of God and there's the severity of God and there is that other side to him where uh, he does look for things that are not right and points those things out and says make corrections and repent how many of you are glad that he gives us the opportunity to repent isn't that wonderful we have that opportunity right until we breathe our last breath we can repent repent means have a change of heart you know and uh, and go the go go the, in the right direction. So that's what he's he's talking to these churches about these different things, pointing out good things and then pointing out some negative things, and giving them an opportunity to repent. And of course, we've covered two churches. First one was Ephesus. Anybody remember last week's church? Smyrna. That was the perse- That was the church that now all the churches suffered persecution, but. Smyrna probably had the worst of the persecution of the seven. Now this week we're going to look at the church at Pergamos. Sometimes it's called Pergamum. But uh, Revelation 2.12. Revelation 2.12. And to the angel. Now, is he writing to an angel or to a, a pastor? To a pastor. To the pastor of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now does anybody know... Who the one with the sharp two-edged sword is? That's Jesus, right? And does anybody know what the sharp two-edged sword is? The Word of God. Sword of the Spirit. Now, that's important. But but before I say tell you why that's important, that he said uh, sharp two-edged sword, you need to realize Pergamus rivaled the city of Ephesus. 
in both size and scope. Remember Ephesus, large city, uh, probably the what would be considered the most important city of Asia Minor. But but Pergamus rivaled Ephesus, uh, kind of like uh, St. Louis and Chicago. You know, Chicago's bigger than St. Louis, but they're kind of rival cities. The baseball teams are rivals, the Cubs and the Cardinals and so on. So these were rival cities, Pergamus and Ephesus, uh, about the same in size and scope. But here's the thing you need to know as to why Jesus said what he did about the sharp two-edged sword. You need to realize that when Jesus says something about his one of his attributes or as he makes different statements to these different churches, a lot of times to us, if we don't understand the city, if we don't understand the church, if we don't understand the background and the context of the, these churches and, and these cities, a lot of times we're sitting there, if you're like me, scratching our head, why did Jesus say that? Why did he, why did he, say, why did he say he has the sharp two-edged sword? What, what, what does that have to do with anything? But if you understand some background, then it'll make perfect sense to you. In this city of Pergamos, the Roman governor there had what was called the right of the sword. The right of the sword. Which meant that he had Rome's authority to decide who would live or die. He had Rome's authority to decide who would live or die. And particularly prisoners that were brought before him. Really no reason for a trial. This, this governor had the right to just say, off with his head. You understand? He had that kind of power. He had he a very powerful individual and had what was called the right of the sword. And, and he could have people just put to death. You know, if he wanted them put to death, just cut off their head. The right of the sword. But Jesus sends a message to this pastor who was probably intimidated by this Roman uh, 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 governor. And my goodness, this pastor might think that this, this governor could come in here and just, just call for me to appear before him and, 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 and off with my head. This pastor could have been intimidated. But Jesus sends a message to him and says, I have the sharp two-edged sword. Now that's very comforting that would be very comforting to me as a pastor to know that hey there's some political figure down there who could require my head being chopped off because he's got the right of the sword but there's somebody who has a sharp two-edged sword that is bigger and more powerful than the governor's glory to god wouldn't that be comforting to you and that's why jesus said that to encourage this pastor you don't have to be afraid of that Roman governor. You don't have to be intimidated by him because he may have a sword, but I've got a sharp two-edged sword that's bigger and more powerful than his. That would be very comforting to me. And then in, he goes on here in verse 13 to say, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Where Satan's throne is. Now in the church last week, we talked about the synagogue of Satan. So I won't go over that again. But in this church, in this city, Jesus said where Satan's throne is. Now, it's interesting and it's very clear to me why Satan sat his throne up in this particular city. And let me tell you why it is. Very simple. It's because in all of Asia Minor, Pergamos was the seat of political power. The seat of political power. Just like Washington, D.C. 
is the seat of political power here in the United States of America. And just as Satan would set his dominion up there in Pergamos, so he has set his dominion up in Washington, D.C. If you've looked any time recently in the spirit or in the natural, you can see that Satan has set his throne up there in Washington, D.C. Can you see that? It's pretty clear to me. I have Sunday school students that can see that. You don't have to be a prophet to see that. Did you hear me? Now, I'm not saying everybody there is is influenced by the devil. But when you have the White House with the gay pride colors shot up on it. Now, tell me where Satan's throne is here in the United States. Right there in Washington, D.C. And why is that? Because so much so much happens out of Washington, D.C. Uh, so, so many political things and things that affect you and I come right out of that come right out of that area. Is that right? So do you see why Satan sets his sets his throne up in, in a place like Washington, D.C.? Do you see that? And, and, and the same thing here in 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 in. Uh, uh, Pergamus. It was the seat of political power. If Satan can can control that city, then he can have great control over that whole region and ho- over that whole area. Now, not everybody was controlled by 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 the devil. The pastor of this church wasn't c- controlled by this by, by by Satan. You know, we don't have to be controlled by Satan. But can you see if he can get control of the political arena, he can influence our lives to some degree. Do you understand that? Just like if he can get control of the most of the of the media, he can affect us. You see, is is that right? And so that's why Satan set his throne up there in Pergamus. It's because Pergamus was the seat of political power in Asia Minor. You need to realize this that as you study the Bible, and now I'm not one that that, that see I, I don't I spend my time running with God. I don't spend my time running with the devil and a demon behind every doorknob. You understand that? I spend my time running with the Lord. However, you need to realize the devil will show up sooner or later. Is that right? But if we'll submit ourselves to God, we can resist the devil and he'll what? Flee from us. But you need to realize as you study the Bible that the, the devil and demon powers do set themselves up over cities and towns and so on and so forth. And even over churches if they'll let them. You see, the devil can't do anything here on the earth unless we give him the authority to do so. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but we don't have to give him the right to devour us because we have the name of Jesus and the power of God. Is that right? But if you don't know anything about about the authority that the Lord's given us, then it's so easy for the devil to come in and take up take up a, a residency over a city, a town, or even a church and, and, and run things. You understand that? And that's what he did here. In uh, Pergamus. Now, Pergamus was also home to a temple to a Greek god, a false god, little g, g o d. And, and all these Greek gods and 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 any of the, the these false things, who's sitting behind all of the all of this stuff? Satan. You need to realize that. But Pergamus was was home to a temple. To a Greek god named Dionysus. And this was a a, a god of the grape harvest or wine. And supposedly this Dionysus 
was born of Zeus, who's supposedly the supreme God, and a human mother. Now, how many of you know the devil's a counterfeiter? Now, who else do we know for sure was born of Almighty God and a human virgin mother? Jesus. So you see, the devil was counterfeiting to the people of Pergamos through this Dionysus who was supposedly the offspring of Zeus and a human mother. And this Dionysus offered the people that would come to him life after death and a a meaningful life upon the earth. Well, what does Jesus offer us? Life after death and a meaningful life here upon the earth. So you see what this pastor of this church was up against. He had right up, probably right up the street, he had this temple to Dionysus, and they're offering the same thing that I'm offering. Except it's not the same thing, it just looks the same. Now where are people going to go on Sunday morning? Think about that. Think about what this pastor had to deal with when he went to church on Sunday morning. And right up the road is the temple to Dionysus. Are the people going to come hear the real word of God and hook into the real son of God? Or are they going to go to this thing that looks, looks like it's good, sounds like it's good, smells like it's good. But how many of you know it's counterfeit and it's not good? And the worship of Dionysus was so immoral... That they would actually throw out raw meat to the people during their services. And they'd they'd chew on the raw meat. They'd drink wine and have sex, sex, sexual orgies during the, the, the meetings. Think about that. The stuff that went on in this temple of Dionysus was so bizarre and so sinful and so extreme that even Rome outlawed the practices that they did in Rome itself, but they did not outlaw it in Pergamos. Now, that's what that pastor had to deal with. The pastor of Pergamos had to deal with with this place right up the right up the road. Also, Pergamos was the first city with an emperor cult to worship Caesar. And it had what was known as an altar to Zeus who was supposedly the supreme god of the Greek mythology. And this altar, now listen to this, this is very interesting, because where was Satan's throne? It was in Pergamos, and they had an altar of Zeus, and this was also known as the throne of Satan. And as the years went by, this altar, over time, you know, began to deteriorate. And eventually it was uncovered during the 1870s, some 1800 years later, 1900 years later, it was uncovered. You know, it began to deteriorate, you know, as years went by 1870s, it was uncovered. It was it was moved to Berlin, Germany. And then it was refurbished. You know what I mean by that? They they fixed it all up. Sitting in Berlin, and it when it the year that it was refurbished was 1889, the same year that Adolf Hitler was born. As years went on, when Hitler rose to power, he of course wants a platform or a stage from which to speak to Germany. 
actually, do we have a picture of that? Do we, I, I don't, do we have a picture of that throne that, that I, I think we, yeah, there it is. If you go back on YouTube and look at, at some of the pictures where Hitler was, was giving his addresses, that's what that, that temple of Zeus looked like in Pergamos. They brought it to, as I said, to Berlin, Germany, but Hitler, when he rose to power, he wanted a platform from which to speak to Germany and to the world. And so he had a, uh, one of the, the people that worked for him had a duplicate, a duplicate of the, the actual uh, temple of Zeus, the throne of Satan that sat in Pergamos that was moved to Berlin. Then Hitler had this one that was a duplicate of, of the one that was in Berlin. This was erected in Nuremberg and he made many of his addresses from this throne of Satan. And it was from this throne of Satan that Hitler first used the words final solution, which was what? Another ter- other phrase for the what? The Holocaust. I hate the devil, don't you? And so a demon-possessed Adolf Hitler, under the power of the devil, stood from that right there, that throne of Satan, and, and from which... Murdered six million Jews as well as many other people. Interesting, isn't it? But that's what the pastor of the church of Pergamos had going on right there in his city. Now notice back to Revelation 2 verse 13. And you hold now, now Jesus says this. He says the, the last part of the verse 13 says you hold fast to my name. That's a good thing to do. Hold fast to the name of Jesus. And did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, Antipas was more than likely was a pastored this church until he was martyred and put to death. He was killed among you. He was likely the pastor of this church. Of course, they had to get another pastor. I wonder how many people were standing in line to take that pastorate. You got to think about this stuff. You got to think about these things. It's interesting, Antipas, his name means against everything. Against everything. And when you study into it, he was against everything that was satanic in the city of Pergamos. I've been accused over the years of being, well, he's just against everything. No, I'm not against everything. I'm for more than what I'm against. I'm for God. I'm for living holy. I'm for walking in love. I'm for helping people. I'm for doing what's right. How about you? But I am against what's sinful and what's evil. I'm against, I'm against these things. I'm against things that will hurt you and destroy you. See, I'm against those things. And this minister, this minister was seemingly against Everything against everything that was satanic or demonic, you see. 
You follow what I'm saying? Now notice, he said, uh, verse 14, But I have a few things against you, because you have there who hold to the doctrine of who? Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, in this city, let's read verse 14 again. I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold to to what? The doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now notice this. To eat things sacrificed to idols. And to commit sexual immorality. Now you're going to see that again and again. Eat things sacrificed to idols. Commit sexual immorality. Now before we say any more about that. People always want to know who is Balaam. And you have to realize there's two views on him. You have to go back to the Old Testament, which will not take the time to turn back there. I'll just kind of summarize it for you. There's two, two views on Balaam. One is that he was a real prophet. And that he had a problem with greed. And as a result, he got into error and caused others to error. That's one view of Balaam. Now, another view is that he was a false prophet, a pagan prophet that sometimes yielded to the spirit of God. And when he did yield to the spirit of God, he prophesied accurately. Now, there's I can argue either of those views. I tend to hold more to the first one than the second that he was actually a prophet of God, but he had problems with money. And he got into error. But yet, in some, there is a verse that calls him a soothsayer. So if you look at it from that avenue, you could say that he wasn't really a prophet of God. But he yielded sometimes the spirit of God and prophesied accurately. I can't tell you which one for, for sure is right. But nonetheless, that's who, who he was. Now then, what happened was, is there was this Moabite king in the Old Testament named Balak. And he tried to... Well, because, see, he was afraid of Israel. There were a mighty, mighty army and whatnot. And uh, Balak, this Moabite king, was afraid of Israel. And so what he did is he called for Balaam to come and put a curse on Israel. And Balaam sought the Lord to see what, you know, if he could do it. Long story short, Balaam said to Balak, I cannot curse what God has blessed. Isn't it good to know that what God's blessed, no man can curse? I've had two occasions over the years, over the many, many years where, where one was a real witch and another one had dabbled in witchcraft and both of them are going to put a curse on me. Well, I'm still going just fine. I'm not afraid of the curses of the devil because God's blessed me and what God's blessed no man can curse. Amen. How many of you know if you walk with the Lord, you don't have to be afraid of the devil? And so he said what he, Balaam told Balak, the king said, these people are blessed. And so 
Balaam, because he had a problem with money and he was greedy, he told Balak, well, we can't curse, can't curse the people of God, so here's what you do. You send prostitutes in to the camp of Israel and you get the Israelite men to commit sexual immorality and then... As a result, these women will pull their hearts away from God. And then, of course, they'll get them over into idolatry, which happened. And then they got out from under the protection of God. And then the devil was able to defeat him. And Balak did that for money. For money. And that's what was going on here in Pergamos. And we'll also see next week when we get into Thyatira, there was actually a lady there who was the pastor of the church in Thyatira. I believe it is next week, Thyatira. I'll just mention her now. Jesus called her Jezebel, although that wasn't probably her real name. But she was a domineering. He probably called her Jezebel because he likened her under the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Who was very domineering and ran her husband and pulled his her husband's strings just like Jezebel did, you know, in the Old Testament. And so she called herself a prophetess. Jesus didn't call her a prophetess. She called herself a prophetess. You need to be careful of people that calling themselves prophet or prophetess and that they put emphasis on that. Be careful of those folks. But she would get up in the pulpit and her husband let her get up there and teach this false doctrine about committing sexual immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Husband let it let it go on. I remember my wife and I, we've seen it a time or two over the years. One time I'm thinking about in particular where uh, I'm thinking about one meeting where the Husband was invited to preach at this minister's conference and he got up to preach and essentially his wife, I mean, he, long story short, won't get into details, but he, he sat down and he, he let her go on and preach about 45 minutes. She wasn't asked to preach. She wasn't invited to preach. She stood up there and screamed and yelled for about 45 minutes. Didn't make any sense whatsoever. And he just sat there and let her go. And that's what Jezebel was like. We'll talk about her next week. You also need to realize that, particularly next week, but they had it in every city. They had trade guilds. And those trade guilds were, in in order to get a good job in a lot of these cities in Asia Minor, you had to be a member of the trade guild. It's like being a member of the union today. And you couldn't get a good job unless you were a member of the trade guild. And if you were a member of the trade guild, once a month you'd have to go to their monthly meetings. And in the monthly meetings... You couldn't just go to the meeting and sit and listen. You had to partake of what went on. And in the meetings, remember, these trade guilds were basically set up to these false Greek gods. And each of these Greek gods, you know, when you went to these meetings, you couldn't just sit and listen. You'd have to enter into their worship. You understand that? 
And in their worship, they'd have food that was sacrificed to whatever Greek god it was. See, because in the trade guilds, you were making like artifacts and things that would be passed out in the city. It wasn't passed out, but it was bought by people in the city. And they'd use these these artifacts or whatever, these these articles to worship these different gods. But if you were a member of a trade guild, you'd have to go to these monthly meetings and you'd have to sit there and listen to what they had to say. And then you'd have to enter into the worship to the false god. And then you'd have to eat the food that was sacrificed to the idols because that's what they were serving, you know, for their, their fellowship time. And then usually all of these things would wind up and usually whenever the devil's behind something, it's, things wind up in, sexu- in a sexual orgy type of a thing. And that's, that was, was what was going on. And so these, these members of these churches, they would, you know, you, you have to go out and have a job and work. And so as these, these, these church members would go out and, and work they, to get a good job, where would you have to be a member of? A trade guild. And so you'd wind up in these, these temples and having to do these things. And then you'd come to church. And now the, the pastor would have to either stand up there and tell you that what you're doing is wrong and you need to quit your your job, right? But if the pastors wanted to keep the people in their church, and these men that had good jobs and made good money because the pastors need tithes and offerings, they couldn't tell the people, hey, you need to quit your job and come out from those trade guilds. They would, instead of telling them the truth, they would tell them what they wanted to hear to make them comfortable. And so then they would teach that it's all right to eat food sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Do you see that? And in in Thyatira, the pastor let his wife get up and teach this kind of stuff. And it was also happening in Pergamos. And it was the doctrine of Balaam. It was just, what did we tell you a while ago when we started that, 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 that the things the devil does never changes. He just changes the wrapping on them. But at the root of it, it's still, it's still ugly. And that's what Balaam did in the Old Testament. And that's what was going on here in, in Pergamos. And we'll see it next week in, in Thyatira. Does that help you give you a better understanding of what was going on? So it take real guts for a man of God to stand up there like pastor. He should have stood up and said, and Jesus got on the guy. We'll see him next week. He said, you allow that woman to stand and it was his wife. If you study into it, we'll see it next week. It was his wife. You allow her to get up there and teach my servants, my people that come into church to eat food, sacrificed idols and commit sexual immorality. And, and Jesus wanted that man to set his wife down. I believe in, I believe, hey, how many of you know, I, I believe in good women preachers, as long as they're teaching the word. Like Joyce Meyer, she's great, she teaches the word. Is that right? But if you have a woman, I've heard a woman, a man, who it is, gets up and teach false doctrine, you got to set them down. Is that right? Can you say amen? So that's what was going on. And so, you know, when these people came to church... I just feel like I need to say this again. Are we going to tell people the truth? Or are we going to say, oh, it's all right. You know, you, you need your job. You need to be able to work over there. You need to be able to make a living, you know. And But we need tithes and offerings too. So it's all right to eat things, sacrificed to idols and, and sexual immorality. It's, it's okay. Because he was making them comfortable there in their workplace. 
But if you got up and said, you know, it's a sinful thing to eat food sacrificed to idols. It's a sinful thing to have sex out of marriage, etc. So so you're probably going to lose church members, aren't you? See, when you understand what was going on in these churches, it, it better helps you to, to grasp. You understand? I'm not boring you, am I? So that's what was going on. And then, and, and you also need to realize this, the thing that was going on there in, in, in the early church. See, uh, the devil tried to infiltrate it with false doctrine. He, he's tried to do that over the last 2,000 years. He's still up to it today. But back there then, the thing that they dealt with was the Gnostics, the Gnostics. And, and what the Gnostics did is they made knowledge their God. You know, you can make a God out of anything. And I could talk for an hour about the Gnostics. They, they had some pretty bizarre beliefs and things they believed. But, but, but at the heart of it, they believed that knowledge in and of itself, if you gained enough knowledge, that, would, that in and of itself would save you. That's why Paul wrote, knowledge puffs up. You, you understand? And there was much that was said in, 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 in the epistles of, of John and the Apostle Paul wrote to, to buffet back the, uh, the, the Gnostics and what they believed. And they believed ultimately that knowledge was, was everything. And they also believed that the flesh, the, the physical body, the flesh was, just put in my own words, totally unimportant. And so whatever you did in the natural flesh body was no big deal. Thus, you could sin, do whatever you wanted, and it, was, it didn't matter. Now, how many of you know that doesn't line up with the Scripture? And what the Gnostics really taught was that, in a nutshell, was that you, could, you can believe on the Lord Jesus all right, and you remember when John kept kept saying about Jesus coming in the flesh? Remember in First John, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God, right? But he that confesses that Jesus has not come in the flesh is not of God. Remember that? So he was he was talking to the Gnostics there, because they 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 said that Jesus came, but he didn't come in the flesh. How many of you know he did come in the flesh? See, but there was false doctrine going on. These Gnostics. They basically said, well, you can believe on Jesus, even though he didn't come in the flesh, but you can still live however you want in the, in the physical body. You can sin, have sexual sin. It doesn't matter. That's kind of what the Gnostics were in a nutshell. So you see here in this church, and I think I should call to your memory. See, this kind of stuff didn't go on in Ephesus because they had they had a, a church that was pure in doctrine, but they had another problem. Remember what, what it was? They fell out of their, their first love. But we've already talked about that. But back on this here, they had the doctrine of Balaam. We told you what that is. And then they had uh, and, and the doctrine of Balaam was Gnostic. But here, look at verse 15, because you really need to, to get this. I want to point something out here to you. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, you need to understand something. This, this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It was Gnostic, so it was a sect of the Gnostics. So, so I already told you what the Gnostics were. It was a sect of that. It was associated with that. But the thing that perhaps made this different is that what, it, what Nicolaitans mean is, is to rule over the laity. And so this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and I'm going to tell you, where it came from, and I think it'll shock you here in a moment, but I want to tell you what it was first. It, it, it had all the characteristics of the Gnostics. 
It had all the characteristics of the doctrine of Balaam and all of that. But the one thing that, that, that caused it to differ is this, is that it was the clergy ruling over the laity, the clergy ruling over the laity. How many of you know I'm here as a pastor and I'm not here to rule over you. I'm here to have responsibility over you and see and see for your soul. Is that right? But I'm not here to lord it over you and run your lives and lord it over you. Is that is that right? You're not supposed to come in and bow down before me and kiss my ring. Is that right? Is that right? And that's what this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, that's perhaps how it differed, is that is that it, it said that the clergy was to rule over the laity and that we're better than you because we have all this spiritual knowledge and you don't. And so I'm a pastor and so I'm better than you. And how many of you know Jesus hates that? I'm here to serve you, not to rule over you. OK, now. Where did this doctrine come from? I feel impressed. I don't have it in my notes, but turn. Acts, the sixth chapter. And, and, and you need to see where it came from. Go to Acts 6. Acts 6. Let's throw it up on the screen if we could. Acts 6, 1. I just feel impressed to take a little time with this. Now, in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. Next verse, please. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Next verse, please. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good, what? Good reputation, full, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Whom we may appoint over this business. Now, these guys were supposed to be what? Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Next verse, please. But we will give ourselves continued prayer and ministry of the word. Next verse, please. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of, the faith, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Procreus, Nacanar, Timian, Permenius, and, and who? Who? And who? Nicholas, proselyte from Antioch. He was a Gentile that, that, that got, got born again. But, but Nicholas, notice Nicholas was part of that group. Good reputation, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Ghost. But guess what? That good man who, if let's read the next verse if we could. Whom they set before the apostles. Was Nicholas set before the apostles? And when they had prayed, they laid hands on him. And then, of course, they began to minister as deacons there. And the church grew and all of that. This same man later on got into false doctrine and it got so bad that he he actually was the one who brought about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And he stood at the head of that and he was he was condemned by these same men. And later on, different ones, I suppose, but these same men that laid hands on he Nicholas got out of. Out of line, he got into false doctrine and he was the leader of this, this heretical sect called the Nicolaitans. How did that happen? Only thing I can figure is, is he got out from under the teaching of the word of God somehow or another. Why did I share that with you? Because it's important that you stay in the word of God. Did you hear me? Because if somebody like that can get duped, how many of you know you and I can get duped if we don't stay under the good word of God? Right. 
And so he led up a false movement. Uh, I'm thinking of a fellow right now. I won't call his name, but he, he, he was out of Tulsa and stood at, stood at the forefront uh, of, the, of the charismatic move there. As it was, not, not right at the beginning of it, but he, was, he got in on it. He had one of the biggest churches in Tulsa. And, and I mean a good, sound, solid, wonderful minister. And if you'd have told me back years ago that he was going to get off track, I would have, I'd have rebuked you. I said, no way, that guy's solid and sound. But years came and went, and all of a sudden, sudden he got up and he started teaching that it's called the doctrine of ultimate, it's a false doctrine of ultimate reconciliation. That everybody's going to be saved. You don't, you know, whether you believe on Jesus or not and follow the Lord or not. You know, even the people that, you know, there's no, really no hell and everybody's going to be saved. and Everybody's going to make it even to the point the devil's going to make it. How many of you know that's false? It's false. It's heresy. But yet he started teaching that. His church, basically everybody, almost everybody in his church left. How many of you know they should have left? If I started teaching that, I'd expect everybody to leave. They never come back. Do you understand? Unless I repented. Do you understand that? So if these people can get off, how much more could you and I get off? So let's stay in the Word of God. Look at Jude. I'm almost done, but I want to get this in. You enjoying this? Jude 1, there's only one chapter, verse 4. New Living Translation, the NLT. Let's put that up there because it goes right along here. Jude, J-U-D-E, Jude. It's only one chapter, the fourth verse, and uh, we get it on the screen. If not, I'll just read it from the New Living Translation. Jude 1, verse 4, uh, in New Living Translation, he says, I say this because some ungodly people have what? Worm their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. And that's what the Gnostics were teaching. That's what Jezebel was teaching. We'll see it next week. That's the doctrine of Balaam. And basically, remember when Paul preached his message on grace that he got from God? Remember his critics came against him and, and, and he said, well, Paul said where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So they came in and they twisted it. And they said, well, if that's so, then let's sin it up. Because if we want great grace, we might as well have great sin. So let's just sin, sin, sin and, and, and lead immoral lives. Because the greater sin we sin, the more grace we'll have. How many of you know that's twisting the grace message? And basically... What the people that were teaching the doctrine of Balaam and, and the Nicolaitans and what Jezebel, we'll see it next week, what was going on was here's what they were telling the people. And, and you see it still today in, in many pulpits, some of the most popular pulpits in the land. Here's what you hear. They say this. They don't really come right out and say it, but this is what they're saying. You can have it both ways. You can have Jesus and you can have sin. You can have Jesus and you can, they wouldn't say sin. They say, you can have Jesus and you can have the world. You can have Jesus, here's where I get shouted down. You can have Jesus and you can go to R-rated movies where they, where they cuss and they take the name of the Lord in vain and they have sexual things on the screen. You can have Jesus and you can have R-rated movies. 
I'm telling you, as a man of God, you can't have Jesus and go to... I feel the anointing. You can't have Jesus and... I, boy, I feel the anointing. You can't have Jesus. Woo! Woo! You can't... You can't... Woo! You can't... Boy, it's been a long time. You can't... Woo! You can't... You can't... You can't have Jesus and go to R-rated movies and be saved and go to heaven. Woo! Boy, I'd get thrown out of most churches in St. Louis for saying that. A lot of them. Did I ruffle your feathers? I hope I ruffled your feathers. Because if you're going to R-rated movies that have cussing in them and, 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 and foul language taking the name of the Lord in vain and sexual promiscuity on the screen, you need your feathers ruffled because you're in danger. 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 Danger, danger, boy, back to lost in space from the 60s. Danger, danger, danger. Boy, it gets so quiet in here, you can hear a rat lick butter. Because Christians, they want to have Jesus, and they want to have their, they want, they want to have their alcohol. Yeah, they want to have Jesus, and they want to, they want to, they want to have their alcohol. They want to have Jesus, and they want to have their alcohol. They want to have Jesus, and they want to have their, 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 their R-rated movies. They want to have Jesus, and they, and they want to sleep around. They want to have Jesus, they, they want to have Jesus, and they want to sleep around. They want to have Jesus, and they want to, they, they want, they, they want to cheat on their spouse, and they think they're going to die and go to heaven. There's a dangerous place to die. Is it alright? Is it a, is it a, whoo, I didn't, that wasn't in my notes. Well, it's been a while since the Holy Ghost got on me quite like that. I like that when he gets on me like that. You need to realize I'd be thrown out of almost just about, well, a lot of churches in this city for acting like I just did. That's one reason this nation is in the shape that it's in. Is because we've lost Holy Ghost preaching. We've lost the power of the Spirit in the pulpits. I want to have a little Holy Ghost power back in the pulpit. Amen. You alright? I didn't intend to say any of that. There's one reason this, this nation is in their shape. It's, you can't... You can't be a Christian and a homosexual. I said you can't be a Christian and a homosexual. I said you can't be a Christian and a homosexual. Now could a Christian mess up homosexual sexually? Could a Christian mess up and repent and be forgiven and still be a Christian and make heaven? Yes. But can you be a practicing homosexual and a Christian? Uh, No, thus saith the Lord. I got people looking, they're sitting out there just looking at me. I don't know what they're thinking, but I don't care. Glory to God. 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 I said glory to God. I said glory to God. You want a man of God to stand in the pulpit under the power of God, not afraid of man or beast. Did you hear me? Glory to God. 
I love homosexuals. I love them. I'm all, all, all for getting them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Did you hear me? But you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, I heard the Spirit of God say, yeah, you choose this day who you'll serve. You choose. You choose. Whatever happened to the Holy Ghost holiness preaching? We need some holiness preaching. We need some holiness preaching. I said we need some holiness preaching. I don't mean beating people over the head, but I mean just telling people. I mean, I tell you what, when you come to church, my God, you ought to get challenged with the Word of God. What I just said here ought to challenge you. You ought to come to church and have your your feathers ruffled once in a while. Did you hear me? I tell you what, I tell you this, listen to me, I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, if you've got a man of God standing by the pulpit, he, behind the pulpit under the power of God, he's going to ruffle your feathers once in a while. And if he doesn't ruffle, I'm telling you, listen, if he doesn't ruffle your feathers once in a while, he is not a man of God. He's not sent from the presence of God. Did you hear what I just said? If he's always telling you what you want to hear, always making you feel good, he is not sent from the presence of Almighty God. But he's sent from hell. Whew. I said he's sent from hell. My God. Am I making anybody nervous? You going to come back next week? Well, I don't care if you do or not. I'm preaching this anyway. I really do care, but I, you understand. You all right? Well, I'm shaking up here. You prayers, keep praying. Keep praying for me. Keep praying for me. Well, I can hardly stand up. The power of God is so strong. You can't have it both ways. You're either going to have God's way or the, the way to hell. Is that right? I'm almost done. Verse six. Verse 16. Repent or else I'll come to you. Repent, 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 repent. That's a good word, isn't it? He gives us opportunity to repent. I heard the Holy Ghost say that. I just played with some people's theology. You know, you need your theology played with once in a while by the Holy Ghost. Some of our theology is wrong. Some of our theology needs, needs to get back in line with the Word of God. You think you can just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then live like the devil? You're wrong. Did you hear me? I said, did you hear me? I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying how many sins since they've been born again besides me. How many sin more than one? How many sin more than one? But, but I'm talking about your heart. Your heart, when you sin, you're convicted by the Holy Ghost and you repent. But you can't go on in it. You can't go on in it. If you go on in it and, and you're not miserable, you go on in sin and you're not miserable, then you never got saved or there's something bad wrong somewhere. You can't, you can't walk the, to the aisle, uh, in the aisle to the, uh, get your ticket punched to heaven and then go on living like the devil. It doesn't work like that. Repent. Or and that goes for me as well as you. Repent. Or else I'll come to you quickly, fight against them. Notice them. Real loud, say them. 
He's not talking to everybody in the church. The ones in the church hold into this false doctrine. I'll fight against them with the what? The sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Overcomes what? In this case, overcomes the doctrine of Balaam and and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. To him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'll tell you what it does. In that city of Pergamos, there was another temple erected to Demeter, a Greek goddess who would provide for the people. And anybody that came to that temple and worshipped this this Greek goddess Demeter, she would uh, promise to supply their needs. And Jesus is saying, you don't need Demeter. You don't need anybody else to supply your needs for you. I'll give you some hidden manna from heaven, glory to God. I've got some food that nobody knows about. It's hidden, but I know where it's at, and I know how to get it through to you. If you believe on me, glory to God. Hallelujah, praise God. Can you say amen? How many of you know, how many of you know he's got some hidden manna? Glory to God. Hallelujah. I read that years ago. That what in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China? He's saying a hidden manna to eat. He's what well, he's saying. You don't have to go to the devil to get food. I've got food. I've got a hidden. I know right where it is, and I can get it through to you. If God can get uh, food through to Elijah in a raven in a raven's mouth, how many of you know He can get food through to you and me? Is that right? Glory to God. Hallelujah. And if you thought that was good, wait till you hear this. Verse 17, and I'll give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, if you don't know the background, you'd be just as dumbfounded and, 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 and befuzzled as I was before I studied into it. And I found out, well, Jesus, why did you say, now give him a white stone? And on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except whom who received. How, what does that, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me tell you. In that city of Pergamos, how many is glad you don't live in the city of Pergamos? I tell you. But the same kind of stuff goes on, in, 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 maybe not to the same degrees, but in every city, in one form or another. It just, it just masks differently. But in the city of Pergamos, there was a temple in an area that was devoted to a Greek snake god named Asclepios. Asclepios. Listen to this. And there was a temple dedicated to this snake god and it had to do with healing. And what would happen is sick people would go to this temple area and they had underground tunnels. And this Asclepios, it was a false god, but it was a snake god of healing. And in these tunnels, the priest of Asclepios would burn opium. And opium was, it's like a drug, and so that, that made people feel better when they went. It wasn't the power of God, it was a drug, you see. And they'd walk through these temples, and then, as I studied into it a little bit, if you had enough money, you could spend the money. See, if you had enough money, you could spend the night in the temple. And then, if a snake crawled over you at nighttime, it was a good sign that you'd be healed. See, and what would happen, the, the, the priests would release snakes there, you know, in the temple. How many like to spend the night in there? I sure would. Sounds like something the devil would do. You okay? And then, the thing that I thought was interesting, 
they would not allow the really sick people into the temple, the really sick people. Just like you see some of these televangelists today. Not all of them, some of them. These healing, some of them, these healing ones. I remember back in 1980, I took a blind girl down to one, the Keele Auditorium. Took her in there. And I had a dickens of a time getting her up to the healing evangelist. His henchmen kept us away, kept us back. I mean, she was blind as a batch, born blind. I mean, for real, somebody blind. And I tried to get her up there. And I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. I had a dickens of a time. You study into some of these people on television, healing, not all of them, but some of them. They don't let the really sick people come up. They let the ones with headaches and things that you can't really confirm. Did you hear what I just said? I'm so glad that Jesus, anybody could get to him and he healed them all of all kinds of stuff. Can you say amen? That's the kind of stuff I want to be around. How about you? I finally got her up on the stage. He came down the line. He wooed me and yayed me and all this other stuff. Wooed her, yayed her. Nothing happened. He did say to me, son, take whatever you need. I didn't know what I needed. So I told the golf pro at Hidden Valley. He said, you should have taken a better putting stroke. You can have fun right in the middle of the Holy Ghost. As we're walking out of the Keel Auditorium, I'm mad at God. Has anybody got mad at God besides me? And I said, I brought this girl down here. I'm just saying this to the I brought this girl down here. And she came in as blind as a bat. And we're leaving blind as a bat. Everybody back at this high school is going to think I'm crazy. Look, I, brought, I told them all, he's coming down here. You've got to get her healed. Take a blind as a bat. I found out later she had no interest in serving the Lord. She had no interest in following God. That's another story. But as we're walking out of the Keel Auditorium, and I'm kind of almost yelling at God. Has anybody ever yell, almost yelled at God besides me? I'm just yelling at God, angry with Him. And the Spirit of the Word of the Lord came unto me. He said, I've called you to a healing ministry. Oh. And so then God got me hooked up with a good man, Brother Hagen, you know, and I learned from him and learned, thank God for Brother Hagen. I'd have been shipwrecked if it hadn't been for him. He taught me about the healing ministry, you know, not one-on-one, but I went to his Bible school and learned. Can you say amen? And then we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed over the last 20 years. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Sometimes I feel like it's just about over. No, I don't think it's just about over. Let's just get warmed up. What do you say? Praise God. I'm hungry for some miracles, praise God. I'm hungry for some healing. I'm hungry for some people that are hungry. Glory to God. I said, I'm hungry for some people that are hungry. I'm hungry for some people that are hungry. Do you know why Jesus had such a good, wonderful healing ministry? It's because they went out and brought the sick people to him. If they had no they they if they hadn't went out and done that, he couldn't he wouldn't have nobody to heal. Is that right? I'm hungry for the real. I've seen some of the real, but I've just seen a sprinkling of it. But I want to see the power of God in manifestation. How about you? And so, let me finish this up. They wouldn't let the really sick people up. You see that among a lot of these. They won't let the really sick ones up close. But here's the thing. If somebody in Pergamos was healed in one of these temples... 
what they would do is there was, there was a lot of white rocks, white stones in the area. And so if someone was healed, even if it was an unsubstantiated healing, what they would do is, is they would, and I think there was an offering and something in on this with money, usually it is, they, they took those white stones in the area and they would write the person's name on it and they'd write the illness that they were healed or supposedly healed of and they'd give them that white stone as a memento of their healing. That was really probably maybe not even a healing at all. And Jesus looked at this and he just said, you know, they're getting those white stones, those rinky-dink white stones. Hey, I've got some white stones, Jesus said, that I'll give you if you'll overcome and not go to the temple of Eskipelos or whatever that dingling name is. But come over here to me and to the house of God where the power of God is. I'll heal you and I'll heal you for real. I'll take your case no matter how severe it is and we'll heal you because, you see, I went to the cross and they nailed me. See, Jesus, he's the rock of our salvation glory to God and they nailed him to the cross and not only was every sin laid upon him but every sickness and every disease was laid upon him and every sickness you can imagine was written upon that rock the rock of ages you see on Calvary every one of your sins but not only that every one of your sicknesses and every one of your diseases was written upon him laid upon him at Calvary can you say amen glory to God and he bore it for you and he bore it for me and he died on the cross he shed his blood And then on the third day, glory to God, he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Ghost. And he came out of that tomb, glory to God. He bore away our sin. He bore away our sickness. He bore away our disease. And he came out of that tomb, glory to God. And he is the rock. He is the stone, glory to God. He is the chief cornerstone, praise God. And glory to God, our name's written on him. And his name's written on us. And our sickness was written on him. And his healing power, glory to God. God is written on us. And he said, don't go to the devil to get something fake, but come to me, bless God. And I bore your sickness. I carried your disease. And I'll give you myself. And when you get me, glory to God, I am the stone of healing. I am the rock of healing. Glory to God. And I 